Have you ever seen The Walking Dead? I'm not talking about your spouse before they have their first cup of coffee in the morning. (laughs) I'm speaking of the television series, quite popular these days, entitled The Walking Dead. It's on AMC. Have you seen that show? If the answer is no, no worries. Other people have it covered for you. I promise you that. The opening episode of the recent season of that program was the most watched drama series telecast in basic cable television history. It had double the number of viewers that the very popular show, even better known show, Mad Men did. Double the number of viewers. Last Sunday's season finale broke all records for viewership of a television drama series. The Walking Dead was the number one non-sports, as in non-March Madness, trending topic on Twitter across all cable and broadcast networks. It has delivered more uh, viewers uh, to advertisers in that coveted 18 to 49-year-old demographic than just about any other contemporary drama program has. To put it succinctly, The Walking Dead is a media phenom these days. What is this all about? What's going on here? What does this actually have to do with our scripture lessons for today? And why should it matter to you or to me? The answer to all three of those questions is a lot. And in the time remaining this morning, I want to try and show you why. So hang in there with me, even if you're not a watcher of this series. To appreciate the significant appeal of this program, you need to understand that The Walking Dead is just one of a multitude of recent programs that are set in a post-apocalyptic world. From NBC's hit show Revolution to Steven Spielberg's Falling Skies to new shows like CW's The 100 or FX's The Strain or TNT's The Last Ship, post-apocalyptic dramas are huge with viewers today. They are all the rage in the television and even in the movie world these days. All of these programs are set in the context of a world where something has gone terribly wrong. All electricity has been shut down permanently in one case. Aliens have invaded the planet from outer space in many other cases. A nuclear holocaust has ravaged the planet. Or in the case of The Walking Dead, a mutant virus has turned the majority of people on planet Earth into flesh-eating zombies. Okay? That's the basic storyline there. In every single one of these storylines, in every one of these shows, a small remnant of survivors now bands together. They come together desperately trying to eke out an existence amidst a world that has been catastrophically changed. And they they alter between utter despair and a glimmer of hope that maybe a new world can still be rebuilt. All I can conclude from the popularity of these programs these days is that something about this scenario is resonating with the life experience of millions of people in America today. Maybe it's the staggering pace of change in recent years that is 
making us feel like we're living through one of these apocalypses ourselves. Many older people I know feel that they're living in a world that bears very little resemblance to the one that existed before. So many familiar arrangements have been disrupted or disfigured or destroyed that people are struggling to feel how they're ever going to discover health and stability and wholeness. Again, they worry that the world they once knew is gone forever and some worry they'll never be able to get it back. For many younger people too, the anxiety is similar, though for a different reason. They're living in a world that feels like this dog-eat-dog world of survival, this fight for survival. Every day is this bloody gauntlet from, from trying to make the team to getting into a school to securing a job to finding a life partner all in the face of what feels like a continually mounting set of competitors and constantly changing set of circumstances and conditions. And many people feel like things have gone wrong in ways that we're not sure how to fix. And for all the excitement of the drama series in which we're living, we worry that we're not going to be able to put it back together again. And I think this is why the zombie genre in particular is resonant with people. It gets closest to what many people feel about life these days. Whatever age you may be, there are times when the relentless pace and the pulverizing aspects of modern life leave you feeling a bit like a zombie yourself. Right? You you get up and you you stagger through each day taking hits and suffering damage, but, but somehow you keep going on. Who of us hasn't had these moments when we're just so exhausted from the slog of it all that we wish that someone would end it for us, as is the case with many of these zombie figures in the storylines of our time. As New York Times columnist Chuck Klosterman points out, there also are times when life today feels like an endless fight against external zombies of perpetual change and constant communication. There are two basic rules to zombie warfare, if you know anything about it. Rule number one, zombies are not that hard to kill. They're really not. One good blow to the head is pretty much takes care of a zombie. If you ever meet one, know that this is true. But that's when rule two enters in. There are always more zombies. That's the bad news. Just when you have deleted that email, just when you have erased that text, when you have closed that advertisement, when you have adapted to that new technology, when you've handled that sudden change or crisis, another one appears right behind it. It's coming at you. Not that hard to kill individually, but endlessly coming at you. It's a relentless war for peace that is never won. Do you understand any of what I'm saying? Can you see why I'm raising this topic? Can I tell you that it's, it's not a new one? This is not a new one. As the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again, for there is nothing new under the sun. When we meet him in In chapter 37, 
the prophet Ezekiel of Israel is standing in a setting that could well have been a set for an episode of The Walking Dead. Ezekiel tells us that the hand of the Lord brought me out by the Spirit and set me in the middle of a valley. And the reference here to being brought out by the Spirit is a way of saying that God has lifted Ezekiel out of the normal plane of human existence and taken him to a place where he is going to gain greater clarity about what's going on, what has been and what will be. He's going to be given a spiritual vision in this new place. And what Ezekiel famously sees in this story, of course, are dry bones and lots of them. Everywhere he looks and walks on this tour that the Spirit is leading him on through this valley, everywhere he sees the ground covered with bones. It's like this vast elephant graveyard, if you can imagine it. The bones here, however, are human ones, and the people who once owned them are not just dead, but very dead. Okay? As dead as dead gets, their bones have been baking beneath that sun for so very long that we're told they are very dry. The emphasis is on the veriness of the deadness on that valley. And in point of fact, there actually were valleys Like this, at least something like this in ancient times, there were these battlefields where the victors left the bodies of the vanquished to rot beneath the baking sun of the Middle East. And some years before Ezekiel is given this particular vision, the armies of Israel had actually undergone a devastating defeat like that. That's the historical context of this particular vision. For decades... God had been warning the children of Israel to make changes. God had been telling them that if they did not repent of their sins, if they did not turn their heart back toward him, a terrible judgment would befall them. Ezekiel was just one of a long line of prophets that had been sent to Israel to warn them of the coming catastrophe, the apocalypse that would soon be upon them if they did not make changes. And the people of Israel had responded to the message of the prophets the same way that Americans today heed the warnings about our country's spiritual and moral decay. And there are many of us, there are many voices that have been pleading with Americans to think about this, to pay attention to the changes going on in our time. To recognize that this is not insignificant and we cannot always expect God to continue to provide and to bless a nation that has abandoned him in so many different moral and spiritual ways. The prophet or the people of Israel had responded to the message in that way. The same way Americans respond to warnings about the risks of genetic tampering or the dangers of climate change. A few people took the message seriously. They made changes. But the majority of folks just shrugged the messages off as the warnings of raving extremists. Yet you cannot defy the call of God. You cannot ignore the constructs of the creation. You cannot 
abandon care for his creation and not eventually suffer disastrous consequences from this willful ignorance, what fools any nation that believes itself above the laws of divine design. This is the lesson of history. Okay, it is empire after empire that believed it was the eternal empire. And God brought it low. Well, the judgment on Israel came in the form of a sudden apocalypse as devastating as any of the other apocalyptic programs that I was talking about earlier. In the space of a few months, the armies of Babylon swept in from the northeast. (laughs) They laid the nation to ruin. They they took a nation that had existed on that land for 500 years. The Israelites believed they were there forever. Nothing could take away their empire, their, their civilization. And in just a few short months, that empire was gone. Its magnificent temple, its capital city was ransacked and raised. Its fields were burned. Its wealth was plundered. The best of its women, the brightest of its children were taken captive and marched off in slave trains to Babylon to be used for the purposes of this new empire. And the bodies of Israel's slaughtered soldiers were left to rot in the valleys, in the valley of Jezreel and many others. They were left to just rot there beneath the baking sun till all that was left of them was Very dry bones. At the time he is given this famous vision, Ezekiel is now living in Babylon. That's where his physical body actually is. He's an exile in Babylon. He is a tired old man. He has been working for years fruitlessly. He's now a slave to a Babylonian overlord, and Zeke's life is filled with so many regrets. If only we had not wandered so far from God in the first place. If only they had listened to God's word. If only I had done a more convincing job of preaching that word. If only. We hear the same exhausted sadness and regret from Martha in the story that we read in John chapter 11. Her brother, Lazarus, has gotten deathly ill. She has called for Jesus, but Jesus has taken so long in getting there. And Lazarus has died. And by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been in the grave for four days. And Martha weeps, if only we had sent for you sooner, if only you had gotten here faster, my brother Lazarus might not be dead. But he is Definitely dead. Truth be told, some of us are in this kind of valley at this moment now. Some of us find ourselves at a place in life not dissimilar from the condition of Martha or Ezekiel. Maybe somebody that you have loved has been ravaged by a terrible illness and you find yourself waiting on the edges of this encroaching darkness And feeling continued despair. Maybe your relationship with one of your family members is lying in ruins. Maybe your business or your financial house 
has collapsed. Perhaps your health or your spiritual health, your character is in shambles. Maybe your reputation has been bludgeoned or slayed. Perhaps you're dealing with an apocalypse, an exile, a death of some other kind. Maybe you find yourself standing in a place like Ezekiel or like Martha was. But in the midst of this, God comes to you. Maybe He's coming to you right now. Maybe He's speaking to you through these very words. He comes to you and by the power of His Holy Spirit, by the authority of His Word, He seeks to take you out of that intense despair to a moment of great clarity. And he points to the wreckage that you see all around you. And he asks, what do you think, Ezekiel? What do you think, Martha? What do you think, dear friend? Can these bones live again? As Richard Farmer observes, there are a variety of answers someone can give to this question that God poses. Some will say, why, yes, of course these bones can live. Of course this mess that I'm dealing with can radically change. I just need to get busy. We just need to organize ourselves a little bone reassembly committee. That's what will repair it. We just need to connect this ankle bone to that knee bone. We just need to apply some synthetic muscle here and some lab-grown flesh there. Sure, these bones can live again. I'll just get busy, God, and I will work on that. I will fix our nation, my family, this situation. I will do it. I'll get busy. Another person will reply to God's question in a different way. Some will say, no, Lord. The answer is no, God. It's too late. It's far too late. There's nothing left here but a stinking corpse. There's nothing here but these very dry bones, and they ain't going to live again. But then there's this third way of responding when despair sinks in. It's the response Ezekiel actually gives to God's question. Sovereign Lord, he says, you alone know. I see two particular truths in that confession of faith that seem very helpful to me. And I I suggest may be very helpful to you today as you prepare to go out into this world again, to whatever valley, to whatever community you will return. And here's the first truth. Sometimes God alone knows how to renew what has died, and we must wait for Him to act. I don't mean to minimize the importance of human action. Uh, 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 of our energies vigorously applied to our homes, to our careers, to our health, to our politics, to our civic life. God tells us again and again, calls us again and again, 
to, to be involved actively in these ways. But there are moments when our human efforts are not enough to breathe life back into something that has expired. The love is gone. The, uh, the, the illness is terminal. The door of opportunity is slammed shut. The friendship is finished. The faith is extinguished. And it's not going to get better. It's not. Unless God acts. Unless God does something. Unless his word goes forth. Unless his spirit moves. And this is why in moments of great despair, the most important action that you and I will ever take is to pray, speak thy word, Lord. Move by the power of thy Holy Spirit. Breathe, Lord. Breathe on me. Breathe on this situation. O breath of God, for sovereign Lord, you alone know how to renew what has died. If you've read the stories in Ezekiel chapter 37 and John chapter 11, then you know that what unites both of these narratives, it's why they're together in the lectionary menu this week, is that in both of these dire cases, of despair in the face of very real death. Not just sickness, but death. In both of these cases, God acts. Right? God calls Ezekiel to speak his word to the dry bones, and he does, and they come together by the power of God's word. Flesh and sinew form on the bones. Breath eventually comes to fill them up. And what was not even a single intact skeleton five minutes ago is now a vast standing army because of the action of God. And in the second story, Jesus speaks a simple word of summons to Lazarus. And he who was dead stands up and walks out of the tomb. The main lesson in both of those stories is that when God chooses to act, there is nothing so dry or dead that it cannot be made to live again. This is the gospel. This is the ultimate reality that is proclaimed so decisively on Easter morning. I hope you know that. Because there may be some valley of despair or veil of discouragement in your life right now. So dark, so difficult, so despair-inspiring that you need to be praying right now. Lord, I've given it my best. I'll continue to do all I know how to do. But please do now, Lord, what only you can do. And act. As we offer that prayer, there there is this second truth and this final truth that it's also important to remember. Because just as there are these times when only God knows how to renew what has died, God alone knows when to repair what has died. He knows what can or should be fixed now. And he knows what will have to wait for a full resurrection at a later time. We see this truth revealed in both of the stories we're looking at today. 
God gives Ezekiel a vision of how he can resurrect the dry bones of Israel. But the army that God raises up, if you read the story closely, you will notice this. This is more like an army of zombies than it is the kind of fighting force that can run off at that moment and conquer Babylon. In fact, it does not. It does not run off and conquer Babylon. It will not be for many more years that Ezekiel actually sees the exile of his nation ended and the fortunes of Israel truly revitalized. And in fact, they come back in an entirely different form, in the form of the life of the church. That day will come. That day will come for Ezekiel, but it is not yet. Similarly, God gives Martha a glimpse of what he can do to restore life. Uh, he, He raises Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus is able to rejoin his family's life. But you will note, if you read the story carefully, that he comes out of the tomb much more like a zombie than like the conquering Lord who will emerge from another grave uh, weeks later. Lazarus is still bound up by these grave clothes. Notice the difference? It's not the story of Jesus we're meeting here. Lazarus is still stinking and covered by these grave clothes. It's a sign that he is not entirely rid of death yet. He is going to die again. And Martha and Mary are going to die again. It will be a much longer time before that family sees the dramatic resurrection and the recreation of all things, that day will come. And so it will come for you and for me. But it is not yet. It is not yet. What I'm trying to say here is that God alone knows how to make dead things live. And in what measure to pour out that grace in this time? Have no doubt about it. There is coming a day when God will make all things new. There is coming a day when people will stream into the new Jerusalem, wearing bodies that can never be killed. Go home and read Revelation 21 and 22 if you need a refresher on that spectacular reality, that promise. And in the meantime, God gives these signs. He gives them to Ezekiel and to Martha and to you and to me so that when we feel like we have been overtaken by an apocalypse, when we find ourselves in the valley of despair, when we have done everything we know how and are still doing everything we can and see that it is not changing things fast enough or maybe not even at all, we will not lose hope. We will not lose hope. Maybe the most helpful lesson of these stories is that when we are in some exile like Ezekiel or worrying that we've been forgotten like he was, we can trust that God sees us as he saw Ezekiel. When we're hurting or grieving like Martha, worrying that God doesn't care, that he's not bothering to show up, We can trust. God is there. He actually weeps with us over what can't be fixed yet. And when we're so tired from battling zombies and we feel 
as lost as the walking dead ourselves, we can trust that God is right here. He's as close as breath, the Bible says. So can these bones live, you may be wondering, in some area of your life? Sovereign God, you alone know how and when. But that can be enough for you and me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.